0: I entreat Eodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. And I ask you also, true yoke fellow, help these women, for they have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let all men know your forbearance. The Lord is at hand. Have no anxiety about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is gracious, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, do, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord.
1: This past week, like many of you, I spent a lot of time watching about Hurricane Florence and what was the track going to be and where would it hit the coast. Every time they showed it out in the Atlantic, they would also show this little dot, the island of Bermuda. Now, Bermuda has a history of being hit by hurricanes down through the centuries. It was about 10 years ago, you may remember, Marsha and I sailed to Bermuda And just a few days after we got there, it got hit by Hurricane Bertha. It gets hit by hurricanes. And when we were there, we so enjoyed exploring this wonderful old historic island. I looked in the book and I saw one of the things I wanted to see was an old church. It was an Anglican church. And it was built high up on a hill. When you started walking towards it, you could see it away off. The walls were built so tall and straight out of solid stone. They were designing for hurricanes. You saw this building rise up. It had all these buttresses, all these pillars, all built out of stone. It was Gothic in its design. St. Peter's, the small Anglican church there, had wanted to build this new beautiful church to be a home for this worshiping family of faith. When you get there, you walk in and there are no doors, but you can see exactly where the chancel was going to be. You can see the arched windows where the stained glass was going to be. No, it's all perfectly done waiting for the doors and the stained glass and the roof. But it's been that way for 150 years. Now, I'm pleased to say that our construction company, Lingo, does a better job than that. 150 years it's looked like that. You see what happened was they had worked on this church. They had these great dreams. They got it to this point and they had a fight. They had a fight and the church split and so the church was never finished. It is known as the unfinished church. I stood there and I looked up into the sky and I thought, what great things were never done because people got into an argument? How many lives were never blessed because people disagreed? How many wonderful things never occurred because people Got so angry at one another. The funny thing is, do you know why they got into an argument? Nobody there knows either. Nobody remembers. People have made suggestions and ideas, but the truth of the matter is, nobody remembers what they fought about. I'm sure it was something important like the wallpaper. I don't know what they fought about. But in the end, they stopped building. The church split. It was the unfinished church. And it didn't just happen 150 years ago. It still happens today. I think about churches that go through such struggles and all the good that is never done because of people being upset. It happens in schools. It happens in our service organizations. It happens in our government. I mean, here we are, the most powerful, wealthiest nation in the world, and I think of all the good that goes undone because we spend so much time arguing. No, it happens. And that's why this morning I want to continue on with this sermon series, Think on These Things. You know, we've made the observation that I believe we're living in a time right now where people have become more sharp, more hard, more critical than ever before. We have a hard time carrying our conversations on about things we disagree. We live without a sense of civility. And ever since I started this series and I started talking to you about this, it's been amazing your response to me. I mean, I keep getting all these emails and these articles and books saying, yeah, you're right. Let me tell you about what I've been reading. I've been hearing so many of you say, well, let me tell you about what I experience in my workplace, in my job, my restaurant, in the government where I serve. Your response has been fascinating to hear back how you have been experiencing this idea that within the last five years, it has continued to ramp up to this level of harshness and incivility that makes it sometimes very hard to keep your spirits up. One of the articles that was given to me was about a book that I've gotten now and reading. It's entitled Christians in the Age of Outrage. It's by Ed Stetzer. Ed Stetzer is the professor who holds the the Billy Graham Distinguished Chair of Church and Evangelism at Wheaton College. And he's written this book, Christians in the Age of Outrage. Outrage, let me read you what he said. The moderate <clears throat> the middle, has disappeared. We're experiencing a multifaceted crisis of incivility. People are being discipled by their cable news stations. They're being shaped by their social media feeds, producing more and more waves of division. He went on to talk about how we've become people who go from zero to 60 in our anger. We've lost the ability to gradate our anger. We don't go just from, I'm frustrated, oh, I'm upset, oh, I'm angry, I'm furious. No, we just go from where we are to furious. It's like we're looking for the things that can make us angry, that we can just get on our high horse about it right in the beginning of the book, Ed gives the illustration about Costco. There was a man who went shopping in Costco and there he came to the books and he saw that the Bible was there and it had a sticker on it that said fiction. Well, he took a picture of it and he put it on the internet. And boy, it went viral. And soon you had a group of people who were all saying, we need to boycott Costco. When they dug into it, what they found was there was one lazy stock boy who happened to mislabel one Bible and now you had a whole group of people who wanted to boycott this company. We see something. We go from zero to 60. We don't gradate our anger. If you were here this very first week we started this series, Reverend Wendy Lambert was preaching and she talked about how she was a physical therapist years ago before she became a minister and how they used to have to deal with this um, challenge that sometimes will happen to people to where they, they will have this problem where they can't gradiate their motion. Whereas you and I, if we had a a, a crystal glass sitting on a table, we would reach for it and then pick it up very carefully and tenderly. But these people who will have this problem, sometimes brought on by strokes, it's just all or nothing. It's full force, full outreach. You can't gradiate the motion. And it almost seems like that's what's happened to us. Something is wrong and it's full on full force. We get so angry. And it leads to struggles and interesting times for us. So I think the question is, how do you and I survive in this age of outrage? How do we keep up our spirits? What do we do? It's why we've been looking at our scripture lesson here in Paul's letter to the Philippians, the fourth chapter, week after week. We're working through this passage, different verses every single week, to see how do we deal with an age of outrage? How do we keep up our spirits? What do we do? And I believe Paul wrote this passage because of something going on there in Philippi. No, what we read is Paul saying in the second verse, I entreat... Erodia, I entreat Synthache to agree in the Lord. And I ask you also, true yoke fellows, help these women, for they have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Paul's saying, we've got two women who are good people. They work side by side with me. They love the Lord. And right now, they are arguing. Paul didn't want an unfinished church. He didn't want all these wonderful things that could happen to go by the side. And so he's saying, can you help them agree in the Lord? What do you and I do? That's what I want us to think about this morning. I want us to look at this passage in Philippians, and I think there's two important things that Paul says. First of all, Paul says to them, agree in the Lord. Now, what does he mean by that? Is Paul saying we need to get these women to think the same way about things? I don't think so. I certainly hope not. Because that's not the way to try to treat everything. Yeah, everybody has to think exactly the same. Now, what I think Paul is saying is these women, they have something, a difference of opinion. They believe different things. But they can agree in the Lord. That is, you can have faith. And we know faith is another word for trust. You can trust in God's grace. The mystery of God's grace we can join together in faith in God's grace in the Lord even though we may believe different things. You see, there is a difference between beliefs that inform what we do and faith, which really is trust in God's grace. prime example would be what Paul says in a couple of verses. He said, The Lord is near. Now we know that Paul believed the end of the world was near. All you got to do is go read through his letters and he says it over and over again. The end is near. He fully expected Jesus was coming back in his lifetime to wrap things up and the end of the world would happen. Obviously he was mistaken on that. And so it is that what we look at is, what do you believe about the end of the world? It's called eschatology, the end of all things. It's the second coming. If you want to see some of what Paul thought, you can flip over a few pages in your Bibles when you get home. Go to 1 Thessalonians, 4th chapter, starting about the 17th, 18th verse. And what you read is Paul saying, and the trumpet will sound, and the dead will rise, and the Lord will come on the clouds, and we will be swept up and meet in the air. That's the second coming. It's one of the things Paul expected to happen. Now, when I was in seminary, we begin asking, what do you believe about the second coming? Do you believe one day the trumpet will sound and the dead will rise and the Lord will come on the clouds and we'll all be swept up and meet in the air? I know there are people who do believe that. Back when I was at Mission Bend, the church in Houston, it was 1984 and I remember they came out with 84 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 84. Now, they set a date. They knew that Jesus was coming back in 1984, and everybody was getting ready. And I know it. People took it seriously, even in the church I was serving. And some of them took vacation in order to clean up their garage and their house on the day when Jesus was supposed to come back. Now, I got to tell you, if I thought Jesus was coming back, I'm not taking vacation to clean my garage. But they explained it to me they were cleaning their garage because they expected that they were going to be taken, many would be left behind, and they didn't want those who were left behind to see their garage and house dirty. Well, that was back in 1984. You know, they were wrong. Do you believe in a future eschatology? Some people, when I was in seminary, said, no, 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 there's a realized eschatology. Realized eschatology means Jesus was crucified. He was raised from the dead. We know He ascended into heaven. And on the 50th day, Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came. That was the second coming. Christ's presence is with us today. The second coming has already happened. It's a realized eschatology. Others say, no, no, no. It's a personalized eschatology. That when you die, Christ comes. That you are born into the arms of God. It's very much if you read near-death experiences. People die. It seems that you come into the presence of God who wraps His arms around you and, and leads you to new life. Is that the second coming? A personalized eschatology? Well, I know that right here we have some who believe in a futuristic eschatology, some who believe in a realized, some who believe in a personalized. We will disagree on our beliefs, and yet can we not agree in the Lord? Trusting in God's grace in our lives, even though we might disagree? It was about 20 years ago, I remember very clearly It was a Monday morning. I was sitting at my desk. Uh, The phone rang. My assistant put it through. And when I answered the phone, this man said, Pastor Bob, this is Pastor John. Praise Jesus. I tell you, I watch you every Sunday morning. Oh, praise God. I love your show. I mean, we are just soul partners. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. I got a show on TBN. I'd like to invite you to be my guest. Praise Jesus. We would have such a good time coming together. Hallelujah. Will you come be on my show? You know, it took me a second to kind of think. He took a breath. And I thought, soulmates? I thought, you know, I think we might be a little different in our theology. We certainly are different in our approach to worship. I mean, he is from obviously a more Pentecostal holiness background. There are many holy holy movements that come out of Methodism but it was obvious that his worship experience would probably be a little more active than the one I was used to. You know, I, I grew up at First Methodist Church in Houston. At First Methodist Church in Houston, we stood up and with our bulletins and from our hymn, we sang our songs, we said our prayers, we sat down. If someone was standing and singing a hymn and they're holding up their hands, we would have thought they were choking somebody would have done the Heimlich Maneuver on them, you know. I wasn't used to that. I became the pastor at Bear Creek Methodist Church. And at Bear Creek, I'll never forget the Sunday, it was Pentecost. Charlene was in the choir. Charlene was a great choir member. Love Charlene. She came from a more Pentecostal background, from the Holy, Holy Movement. And it turned out that You know, sometimes you just kind of sensed something exciting was about to happen with Charlene. And this was Pentecost, and we were preaching. I was talking about the power of God's Holy Spirit and Him pouring out His Spirit on us like tongues of fire. And I came to the end of the sermon, and I got through, and boom. I mean, Charlene went down. She hit the floor in the choir loft. She was slain in the Spirit. She got the Holy Spirit. And soon as she was down, the choir gathered around her and they called 911. <laughs> we didn't know what to do when somebody gets the Holy Spirit. I mean, I'm down there, I can't see what's going on. I, I, I lead us in singing the final hymn, and, and they're gathered around Charlene, and we go out, and I'm pronouncing the benediction, and one of the um, other ministers come up to me and says, Bob, Bob, Charlene hit the floor. She is okay. She's got the Holy Spirit and we've called 911. <laughs> By the time that I got to the back of the church and out the door, I could see the lights flashing and here came the paramedics. They were not far from where the church was and they came firing up and they jumped out and they're running towards me. and i went, it's all right, it's all right. We just had a lady who got the Holy Spirit. (laughs) I've come from a little more contained worship experience. And here I have this person on the line going, Pastor Bob, I know we're so much alike. Will you come be on my show? Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. And I thought, he seems like a really nice guy. Why wouldn't I? I said, absolutely. So we set the date. I would go and be on the show. And it was different. I mean, he had his way of talking, praise Jesus. And I had mine. We had a great conversation. I learned his story. I shared mine. It was obvious he was a man of faith, who loved Christ, who was blessing life. We may have been different, but we had a wonderful time because of our common love for Christ. You know, I got that phone call asking me would I come be on the show on a Monday. I remember that week. It was on Thursday. On Thursday of that week, I got a, an anonymous letter. I opened it up and it said, Dear Pastor Bob, I, I watch every Sunday on TV. I'm gay. I don't feel accepted in church but I love worshiping with St. Luke's. And so I've told a number of friends of mine, and we all get together now on Sunday morning around the TV so that we can worship with St. Luke's. I just wanted to say thank you for a message of hope and love. And I thought, from a a holiness perspective, Pentecostal background to those who were gay, we would have different beliefs. And yet it was obviously a common faith, a love for Christ. That week, what I thought about was John Wesley saying, We do not all think alike, but can we not all love alike? I thought about how our call and our standard has been to love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. That Wesley's call for Christian perfection is when everything you say and everything you do is motivated out of a love for God and a love for your neighbor. And when we do that, it means that we may not always have the same belief whether it's on the second coming or whether it winds up being on creationism, seven days, seven million years, billion years, evolution, it may be gay weddings, it may be do you kneel during the national anthem. We don't always agree on what we believe. But Paul said, can we be one in the Lord can we focus on what it means to love Christ and to love our neighbor to be people of faith who trust in the mystery of God's grace it seemed to me that if we begin to focus on what it means to be one in the Lord it will dial down the volume it will dial down the rhetoric to where we can talk to where we can dialogue, to where we can listen to one another. You and I can't change what's going on out there in the world and the volume of everybody else, but we can take care of our volume. If you were to be living in what it means to say, I'm going to do everything I can based on loving God and loving my neighbor, how do you think that would affect your text, your tweets, your post on social media, the things you say. It would change our volume in the age that we have of chaos and such anger. It makes us feel better and it changes the dialogue. Secondly, Paul said, do not be anxious about anything. But in prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. It's fascinating when you think about that. He's saying we need to be in prayer in thanksgiving. Prayer in a spirit of thanksgiving to God. And if you and I are in prayer and thanksgiving to God, we don't have to be anxious. We won't be anxious because we are in prayer and thanksgiving. What will happen is you and I will be choosing how we treat other people. We will choose to be kind, to bless the stranger, to bless our neighbor, to bless those who are different from us. And there's no question that when you and I allow ourselves to be used by God in a spirit of love, you change the dialogue around you but it also does something to your soul. It will help you to be less anxious, less upset, less afraid. This past week, we had a member of our staff who was turning 50 years old. And so this story is going to remain anonymous. But this person was turning 50 years old. And some of our staff got together in the morning to take her out to breakfast and to celebrate her birthday. They went to Hatch since it was just a few blocks away. Phil Greenwald um, went with them as well. And they were there, this group of people, to celebrate this person's 50th birthday. And they were sitting there all together. When suddenly they're looking out the front windows, and here comes this parade of boats down Broadway. Boat after boat after boat. Now, Now, we don't tend to see lots of boats going down Broadway. And so it really caught their attention and then this caravan whipped around and came back in front of Hatch and all parked. And when they looked then, had a chance to look at the side of one of the vans, it said, Los Angeles County Urban Search and Rescue. It was obviously the search and rescue people from Los Angeles County who had driven 1,500 miles, made it to Oklahoma City. Now they had 1,500 miles to go to get to North Carolina. And so they were about halfway there. It turned out that they had gone online and asked, where's a great place to have breakfast? It came up with Hatch. And so here it was, all these people with boats they were pulling, pulling up in front of Hatch on Broadway. There was 18 of them. Now when they're sitting there and they realize this, I mean, Phil Greenwald is trained in radical hospitality. (laughs) He jumps up out of his seat and he's standing at the door shaking their hand. Welcome to Oklahoma City, come on in here. He's taking their picture. He's getting their story. He's greeting all of these first responders who, who are from Los Angeles County and welcome them to breakfast at Hatch. Well, they come on in. They've talked. They, they've settled down and they're having their breakfast. And our staff goes back to having this celebration. And, and then Phil notices one lady has gone over and is talking to the waitress. And, and he jumped up and thought, wait a minute, I'm buying this for everybody to have this birthday party. And goes over and this lady said, no, no. I'm paying for all of their breakfast, these 18 first responders. She said, my husband and I like doing that. Whenever we see this, we like to buy them a meal. And so she said, I I would love for us to be able to buy it. I'll pay for everything. If we get the receipt, we can all sign it and wish them the best and thank them from St. Luke's. And then they won't know our group is all ready to leave. And they would leave and then these people would get their bill and all of our people would already be gone. Now, I can only imagine how these people felt when they received their bill that was all paid. You know, nobody had gone and asked them if they were Methodist. You know, they hadn't even gone and asked them if they're Christian. There are some people who were really on a merc- uh, an errand of mercy and love And I can only imagine how they felt when they discovered they stopped in Oklahoma City and someone had bought their meal. But I can also tell you what it did to the people on staff who had been there. It does something to your soul. When you live out of the spirit that says the most important thing is that everything I say and everything I do is motivated out of a love for God and a love for my neighbor. It'll do something to your soul to where you don't have to be anxious and so upset and afraid. We can dial down the volume. We can dial down the rhetoric. We can find a sense of peace as we are the people who go out to share God's love. Some of you may have seen the story that came out not too long ago about a man named Fadil Bayari. Fadil Bayari, he is a Palestinian Muslim. He lives in northwest Arkansas. He actually lives in Fayetteville. I don't know of a whole lot of Palestinian Muslims who live in Fayetteville. But that's where Fadil lives and has a very successful construction business. Well, it turned out that there was a Jewish community there in Fayetteville that had been there for years. They had been renting different spaces through the years in which to worship, but they wanted to try to finally build their own house of worship, their temple, and they tried raising money and they didn't have enough and they were struggling. And it's why while Fadil happened to be at Rotary that he heard another person at Rotary talking about this problem for the Jews, he went home and prayed about it with his family and he felt like God was calling him to help. And he went and he found the president of, the, of their temple and said, I'd be happy to build your building. I will not charge you my fee. That's about a quarter of a million dollar gift. And we can work together to find the cheapest resources and do all we can to hold on the price and I'll be happy to build your temple. The people there at the temple were so shocked and taken back that it inspired them to set about fundraising more and, and talking to other people and they raised the money. And once they raised the money, they got together to interview architectural firms and the architectural firm they chose happened to be made up of people who were Episcopalian. So the Episcopalians designed the temple and a Palestinian Muslim built it and the name of the temple was Temple Shalom, Temple of Peace. They now have endowed studies there to encourage people to come and to learn about different faith traditions and what does it mean to be able to get along. They asked Fadil, why did you do it? And he said, back home in the old country there is so much hatred between the Palestinians and the Jews and there's so much violence. I didn't want that to be the case in my new home. In my new home I wanted us to understand that we could live together and love together and help each other. So I wanted to do something that would help us to understand and love each other. When you and I seek that everything we say and do is motivated out of a love for God and a love for our neighbor, it'll change how we treat the stranger and the person who is different from us we dial down the volume. We don't have to be anxious and afraid. We focus on the gift of God's grace and our faith and we can be called to love for each other. Ed Stetzer, in his book, Christians in the Age of Outrage, says, the question, with the culture awash and animosity, Will we choose the language of mercy? With the culture awash in animosity, will we choose the language of mercy? Paul said, "Help them agree in the Lord." It's in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer.
0: Amen.